Greetings, this is Rob Hartzler from TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today on the podcast, we have the honor of hearing from Dr. Laith Jezrawi, Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at NYU and Chief of the Division of Sports Medicine. Dr. Jezrawi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. Pleasure to be here. Today, we're going to be discussing your article from the January 22 issue of Arthroscopy entitled, Transosseous Equivalent Suture Bridge Arthroscopic Rotator Cuff Repair in Combination with Late Postoperative Mobilization Yields Optimal Outcomes and Retear Rate, a Network Meta-Analysis of Randomized Controlled Trials. And that article title is a mouthful there. So um, first question here, can you give us a brief description of what does that mean, the network meta-analysis? Right. So uh, I'll start off in general. You know, I'm a clinician. But I like to do a lot of research, and I think I think the the important thing is that common sense. We all have questions that we want answered, and in the world of rotator cuff um, studies, in the past have you know looked at these various terms, you know, single row, double row, and I think the first thing uh, uh, that we got to get ironed out is th- there's a lot of double rows, and and we know that you, you know whether you take uh, you know, a simple anchor and, and do a one anchor repair and whether you call that a single row or you stagger the anchors in sort of a box configuration, that's an, a version of a double row. And then there's the transosseous equivalent where, you, again, you have, you know, uh, you know, four anchors. You could even have two anchors, but the concept is that that medial row, whether you tie it or not, whether you use tape or not, is going into a lateral row of anchors and sort of the idea is that that sort of transosseous equivalent as defined in this study is where you're getting that sort of pressure at the footprint from the sutures that are bridging across to increase the healing rate. So my gut has always been, you know, based on some of the initial biomechanical studies that that would probably lead to the, the, the highest rate of healing. So when you do a net, when you do a meta analysis, you're really comparing two groups. So a lot of these studies have multiple groups. So you can have a single uh, row repair, but you could also have a single row repair that has delayed physical therapy, a single row repair that has early mobilization. So in a, in a straightforward meta analysis, you're you're comparing two groups and. What, what the network meta-analysis allows you to do, and then you got to get, we'll get into the statistics later on, is looking at multiple groups, A versus B, and then C versus D. So instead of looking at uh, ACL reconstructions with bone patella tendon bone versus hamstring, you can start looking at multiple variables. In this case, we have three variables where, uh, where we've added single row, double row, and then this transosseous equivalent. And then also you can add other variables where there are combined groups of transosseous equivalent with early mobilization versus delayed mobilization, which is an, a whole other question about what leads to optimal rotator cuff healing. So that when you get into the network meta-analysis, it's a more powerful tool that allows you to look at multiple variables. The only issue is it causes the statistics to be a little more complicated where you're, you, where you're going to have to go beyond odds ratios uh, uh, to look at this. And we can get into that in a little bit. But, you know, statistics are, are always funny 
you know, you have an, you have an, uh, a question in mind and you have a, a potential what you think is the answer. And oftentimes you use the statistics to sort of prove your case. And, and, and I would say in this one, I had less control in that, in that there's only really one way to look at this, you know, statistic wise. So um, it, it was interesting. I kind of knew what the outcomes were going to be based on reading multiple papers and, you know, papers showing that delayed rotator cuff mobilization may lead to slightly higher rates and that transosseous equivalent may lead to better rotator cuff repair. My idea was, can we figure out what the best is with all these variables? And that was the, the genesis of this study. Yeah, it was interesting being able to add in that additional factor of de- of delayed versus early. You you described it as physical therapy. Is it delayed versus early mobilization? What was kind of what's what was the cutoff in determining that that factor? Yeah, so it for for it was mobilization. So I, I you know physical therapy was six weeks the cutoff in terms of what you called late versus early. Correct. Okay, great. So and so now we have these three factors of repair, construct, single row, traditional double row, independent double row, and then link double row or transosseous equivalent, and then early versus late mobilization. So there's kind of six nodes in in the network on the network meta-analysis. Correct. So what do you, what's the take-home message on the paper? What do you, what do you think surgeons, you know, should, should get out of it? What did this allow us to see that we couldn't see with other types of meta-analyses done previously? Yeah, so I, I think what this meta-analysis or network meta-analysis does is take two ideas that we knew independently were pretty good. We know that you know the transosseous equivalent, at least suggested by multiple papers, may have you know a slightly higher healing rate, uh, and then the question becomes. Well, it, is that super strong repair combined with delayed mobilization? Could that lead to more problems? Meaning, even though it led to, to higher healing rates, could it lead to more stiffness after surgery? A lot of questions about stiffness with delayed mobilization uh, come up in the literature. And some people are afraid. They're afraid not to send to mobilize patients. They're afraid they're going to get stiff. And the question of the transosseous equivalent uh, being more anchors in off, uh, oftentimes, and then you know using what what's perceived as a stronger repair, you know may have some issues with with, with stiffness because it's stronger. So hence, you know why the, my my thought genesis behind this idea was that let's see if it's actually a problem because to me the the TOE combined with delayed mobilization is going to lead to the best results. And I've been doing that in my practice. So this is one of those things. I wanted to prove it. You know, it was in my practice. I didn't randomize my study. So I wanted to make sure that we looked at all randomized control trials out there that looked at a lot of these factors. And they oftentimes didn't look at these factors independently. A lot of times they were combined in studies. Sometimes they were independent. So we took a lot of these randomized controlled trials that had a lot of this information and then started started dissecting the information out. And, and that's what a network meta-analysis is. You're able to look at multiple uh, variables. And that's, and that's what we did. Yeah, it's, it gives you a lot of power. It looks like you included at the end of the day 28 randomized controlled trials with 
over 2,000 patients. So what you, what'd you find? What are the results? Yeah, so the results were, you know, what, what my gut, you know, was saying that, one, the, the TOE was better. And uh, the, the one thing that I regret is, you know, the, the, one of the first things that one of the, uh, the criticisms were that we really didn't look at, one, w- whether tape was used in isolation. It was hard because some studies did, some studies didn't, and we didn't have enough power to kind of get into that answer. The second thing was tying knots immediately. That, that's a big question that comes up. We talk a lot about type 2 failure, whether tying knots immediately you know, leads to an increase in that. So that was one of the criticisms, I think, and certainly one thing in retrospect that, that would have done better, you know, job at breaking that down. But the bottom line is transoxy equivalent, strongest repair, supposedly that was my hypothesis, led to the, the, the best outcomes in terms of rotator cuff healing. And when we combined it with a delayed postoperative mobilization protocol, typically at six weeks, that the results were even better. So combining these two uh, techniques led to the best outcomes compared to a single row with delayed mobilization or early mobilization and a standard double row, non-transoxys equivalent, either delayed or, or early mobilization. So the so you found that the healing uh, that the retear rate was much lower with transosseous equivalent and late mobilization. How should we interpret that? The, the odds ratio was 0.2 there between that and single row only. So, you know, how should we, how should we think about that? Do you have a sense about what the actual retear rates were from, from the studies? Yeah. So th- th- this was the challenge in the study. So the way, the way, if you read the stats on this, it could sometimes be confusing. So the first thing I did was, you know, when we talk about a P-score, you know, there's a P-score for statistical significance. The P-score in this paper is a rank probability. So the way we ranked all the studies, well, not the studies, but the treatment options. So whether it was uh, TOE combined with uh, early mobilization or late mobilization, we gave them a rank in there so that the best outcomes had the highest rank score in this P-score. And then what the odds ratio did was then go back there and look at each of the variables um, in this P-score. So we broke down the variables and we used the odds ratio to assess, okay, well, that that score, we assigned the P-score the highest to, for example, double row with delayed mobilization. But then we use the odds ratio to break down each of the variables and compare them across the different cohorts. And so when you look at the odds ratios numbers, you're looking at a statistical way to show, even though the difference may be slightly different, it, it does break down each of the variables. And I do agree with you, again, as with all statistics, you know, Sometimes in this case, the retail, look, looking at successful outcome and retail rates are often complicated. A majority of these studies did have, you know, MRIs uh, included in them. And if, when we went along on the stats, it was clear that that combined TOE and delayed protocol had the best outcomes in terms of uh, retail rates 
though in terms of clinical you know success rate it, it was less so but the statistics worked out that it was better and i do agree with you when you start going through these statistics the end end result of this paper is yes double row toe double row combined with delayed immobilization is the best but it's when you really look at and break down the numbers compared to a double row that's not a transosseous equivalent with delayed mobilization, the, the differences are not as great as the, 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 the parting line of the study. So you, 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 you picked up on right. a great, great point there. Uh, and the study, this study was meant to show that, okay, which is better? And while the numbers, you know, in this way, the way we analyzed this showed this, you know, the, the, the question of, well, I think doing a double row in a non-linked fashion with delayed mobilization does provide with you with pretty good outcomes as well. So I think it, it often gets hard looking at two different variables and trying to assign which has the most importance when, if you look at all the papers, they all kind of average out in the end of being an important, whether it's the technique or the delay. Because there are certainly some single row papers with delayed mobilization that had pretty good outcomes as well. Right. I think one of the things we've learned in other meta-analyses is that the tear size matters. And you did, you reported that in, in table one when the authors of the individual studies reported their tear sizes. Um, it, I, my guess is that in this paper, you weren't able to do any kind of sub-analysis of the larger tears versus smaller tears. That, those are the ones we have trouble getting to heal. So, it, exactly, and and I think the the uh, it, it is certainly, and I think that was one of the we knew that with larger tears the TOE rules. Okay, the the issue was could we prove this across the board for even the smaller tears? And I think what was interesting in this study that across the board, when you add this other variable of delayed versus uh, you know, early mobilization, we were able to then make more generalizations. So this concept of transosseous equivalent suture bridge in a small tear, in a small tear with delayed mobilization seemed to be, you know, the, for example, a small tear with a single, um, a single row with early mobilization, for example. So that was my attempt. Now, the, the stats are always I, I had an idea going into the paper what the answer would be. And it's oftentimes, it's interesting, as you're going through the stats, you can see each of the individual outcomes in each of the individual papers supporting by itself your, your hypothesis. The, the way the stats in this, because there were so many patients, we were able then to hone in and do more generalities because there were so many patients. And at least in this, the way the stats worked out was that regardless of tear size, by doing this combination, uh, you were able to get better outcomes with the TOE and, and delayed mobilization. Right. There's no there's no power. question in the paper. Yeah, there's no question in the paper that the retear rate is better. Do you do you think that the reason why the so the clinical outcomes, particularly the ASES and constant scores? And to some extent, the range of motion, you know, it didn't shake out statistically that those that statistically that those were better in the transosseous equivalent late. And the and the 
the the absolute differences weren't that big, even if they were to be statistically significant. It was like about seven ASES points and five constant score points. Is is the is that is the reason why the healing rate doesn't correlate with the outcome score in a lot of these studies? Because the outcome score isn't any good. I mean, what do you? Why do you think that is? I, I think. Look, the bottom line is that we know with rotator cuffs that you could have a tear. We have patients that come in full tear and are functioning fine. You know, pain is a funny thing with rotator cuff, and I, I think and function. You know, you know, we have patients that you know, and the, it begs the question. You know, a, a lot of patients that come in with rotator cuff tears. Regardless of age, I think once you get, you know, into your 50s and 60s, there is a role for non-operative treatment. And the challenge is always what patient to select for surgery uh, with a small rotator cuff tear. And even some of the older patients with larger ones, it's incredible how with some physical therapy and an injection here or there that they can perform quite well. And it, even, you know, over 20 years in practice, it's often challenging for me. It's easy for a young patient with a traumatic tear. We know that that patient needs surgery. It, the, the challenges become with a degenerative tear in a, in, a, in a patient that comes in that's tried no conservative therapy that should we be operating on them? There's been studies about ultrasound trying to figure out w which tears increase in size over time. And maybe those are the ones because we know larger tears have a um, a higher failure rate. There, there have been good studies trying to assess which ones we should operate on. But it, 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 when these studies come out, it, 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 it brings up even more questions in my mind about what patients would benefit more from a non-operative course. And, I, and I'm, a very, I'm very conservative. Unless they, they hit along those lines of failing conservative therapy, unless they're acute tear in a young patient, uh, I'm treating them conservatively a lot of times plus or minus an injection and physical therapy. So the way that I, I guess, the way that I reason out and interpret all of this information is, it seems very clear to me that in patients with larger tears, and particularly those where there's really functional, functional deficits where, you know, the healing rate matters, that we should be going for transosseous equivalent, link double row, rotator cuff repairs, you know, with delayed uh, mobilization, six weeks, six weeks sling use, where, where I'm having more of a trouble, or I'm having more trouble reasoning things out is, are the smaller tears, because that's where I think in terms of the value, you know, we have to be judicious with resources and, and responsible in terms of the cost of healthcare and things like that. So for the smaller tears, it's you, you have a harder time making the case that we should use double the anchors if the healing rates are similar and the clinical outcomes don't matter. So I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit because I, I mean, I prefer yeah. link double row myself, but you know, how do you, what would you say to the proponents of single row repair for small rotator cuff tears? I, I think there, there's still, while the stats may lean more towards a successful, you know, outcome, it, and I tell them with the TOE delayed uh, mobilization, I would say you're looking at 97% versus 98% difference. And is that 1% or 2% difference in healing justify the increased cost of 
uh, a TOE type repair with more anchors? I don't know the answer to that. And I think, you know, that's yeah. a, that's a tough one. And I, and my gut leans more towards, okay, uh, you know, maybe a single row is fine, you know, in, in these cases. And, and you do, a lot you of do the, any single row yeah. you, in absolutely. your clinical practice? You, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you have a small tear, when you go in there and for me, it's just common sense that I can't, if I can't get a double row in, if I'm having to destroy rotator cuff to right. figure out a double row and, and get all those anchors in, then to me, that's, that, that's silly just to, 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 to accomplish something where it can be perfectly accomplished with a single row. And then for me, I, I'm delayed mobilization on all of them. So I have no concern that, that I, I know that the, those patients, even with the single row, they're going to do just great. Excellent. Well, I think this was a great discussion. Um, definitely, uh, you know, debate remains open on some aspects of on some aspects of choosing these repair constructs and, and how to mobilize patients. But I think we're clo we're closing in on at least the healing rate issue. Any, any closing thoughts on this paper? No, I, I think it, it's, it, it, it was nice to go through this and try to get to the point where we, we, we you know, your gut feelings, when you look at something in orthopedic surgery, you go, that's just gotta be stronger. There's, yes, there's just is. no, there's just, you know, there's no way. I know all this data with the single row proponents, you know, and I know it's leaning and larger tears that the TOE is better. But, you know, when, you know, a lot of us have been doing this a long time and we see our clinical patients and how they're, you know, uh, doing, we, we get this gestalt and, and a gut feeling. And I think, you know, as uh, a clinician, the, the goal is then to become that researcher to try to utilize good scientific principle to answer these questions. And I think it's very important that, w that we utilize this, you know, what we know in our gut as the right thing and then prove it. And, uh, uh, and not just to say it anecdotally. So that was very gratifying in this, you know, uh, work to do that and take something we, we kind of knew was trending towards a, a better outcome and then proving it. Excellent. Well, this article from the from the January 22 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal can be found on the Arthroscopy Journal's website at arthroscopyjournal.org. And Dr. Jaswari, we uh, really appreciate your time today. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. The views expressed in the podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time.